I'm Damian Bolwa, Managing Editor of the San Francisco Chronicle. Today on Fifth and Mission, a story about the emotions that are weighing on frontline healthcare workers during the pandemic. What happened when a Jewish doctor, a black nurse, and an Asian respiratory therapist were confronted with a patient with Nazi tattoos on his body? Jill Tucker is here with that story. And then later on today's program, we're going to get a dire update on the pandemic and its recent surge from health reporter Aaron Alday. Cases are rising, hospitalizations are up too, and California Governor Gavin Newsom is warning he may need to tighten restrictions even further. We'll get to that later. First, Jill Tucker, thanks for joining me again. Oh, sure. How are you doing? I'm I'm good. I'm good. It's great to see you. It's great to see you on the Zoom link here. <laughs> I hope you had a good holiday. Um, obviously, a big day of coronavirus news as we go through this, this late season surge. Um, a lot of worry in the air. And you spoke to a doctor who was going through a lot of emotions. Set the scene for us. Where where was this? Yeah, so uh, Dr. Taylor Nichols uh, is a, a an emergency physician in a hospital just outside of, of Sacramento in Carmichael, but he also works at UCSF part-time. He, he's a local San Francisco uh, native who grew up in Burlingame, um, and, and he was in the ER um, on a shift a couple weeks ago. Um, and, and they've seen a lot of, you know, every day he sees COVID patients. And, and so it was nothing new to have a patient wheeled in from an ambulance, having trouble breathing, looking very ill. Um, and, uh, the, the, he and his team, uh, which included a nurse and a respiratory therapist, um, got him onto the, bed and and were inspecting you know getting him ready for for treatment um and they got him into a gown and as they took off his clothes his entire torso had uh, nazi tattoos a a swastika on his chest um ss uh images and and other types of things um you know and dr nichols is is a jewish doctor um but he's a doctor first and foremost, and um, and he described what happened in in a Twitter thread this morning. And as soon as I saw it, I just it was so gripping, it was so honest, it was so raw that um, I just wanted to know more. I wanted to know more about what happened in the ER that day and and what it was like um, in this pandemic to be risking your life. Um, only to have someone who doesn't value your life. Yeah, it really grabbed me because I think, you know, obviously you assume, and, and he did treat the patient, but you assume that doctors do have to deal with this kind of thing quite a bit. Um, uh, but we are in a really unique time, and our frontline workers, we're thinking about them so much, what they're going through as they're putting their PPE on and as they're going every day and putting themselves at risk. And it, that's what stuck with me too, is, is the emotion um, felt that was so raw. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that was the thing is that this is not the first time that, um, you know, Dr. Nichols or any doctor has faced a racist or faced somebody who, um, you know, yells at them or says terrible things or, or whatever. Um, I, I think the difference was what, what Dr. Nichols talked about was how for the first time in his career, he actually paused 
um, as he donned all the PPE and gear to go intubate this man who was, who was becoming more critical by the second. And he stood there and he, he actually had to ask himself, you know, if he cared about this patient. And, and I think it was that moment for him that was the worst because he got into this to, as he said, there's sort of an, an emergency medicine mantra that is um, anyone, anytime, anything. And the idea is that you care about the people that everyone else doesn't care about, you know, whether that's a homeless person or whether that's a drunk person, or as he described to me, you know, you're in one room treating somebody that you lose on the table and then go into the next room to the drunk driver that killed him and you treat that person. This is what you're trained to do. So for him, that moment that he paused and questioned his compassion or com- questioned his his empathy, um, that was the worst for him. He felt like this pandemic has damaged him, that that he has gotten to a point because of the frustration and the isolation and the surge and all of the things that have been building on the shoulders of our healthcare workers, you know, the fear every day that they could get it, right? Intubating is like the most dangerous thing you can do in a pandemic because it spreads the aerosols. So they're putting their lives in danger walking into that room to intubate a man with a swastika tattoo on his chest. It, it, um, I think for him though, thinking that somehow he lost something in of himself um, in this pandemic was was the worst thing of all. So so what did he do in that situation? So he put on his PPE gear. He checked the PPE gear of his nurse and his respiratory therapist, and he walked in there and he tried to save the life of the man with a swastika tattoo. That's what he did. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and do we do do we know what happened? I mean, um, do we know what the the diagnosis was? Well, I don't know. Should we have people read the story and find out? <laughs> <laughs> well, I assume he he survived. I I hope. Well, actually, I will tell you, um, Doctor Nichols doesn't know. Um, he doesn't know if he survived. Uh, he doesn't know if, in fact, he had COVID. Although he assumes he did, um, because. Uh, after he treated the man and and tried to save his life and got him stabilized, he moved on to the next patient. And it was about two weeks ago that this happened. And he, um, yeah, he doesn't remember the man's name. He doesn't remember, um, you know, he doesn't know if he if he survived or what happened to him after he left the ER. Um, he's just left with that pause. Um, that that's what's going to stay with him is that pause, that moment um, that this pandemic. Uh, caused him to doubt who he is. Wow. And it stuck with him for two weeks. And I think we can assume that for a lot of workers, um, even though they're putting on a brave face and it could be doctors, it could be, it could be teachers, it could be other uh, frontline workers that, um, that we're really seeing that this is weighing on them in ways that that they won't get over. Yeah, you know, I think it's funny. Like we think of doctors, like you go to the hospital and they're sort of like superheroes, right? Like you you go there and you expect them to help you. And I, I think it's hard to think of them as human beings, right? Because, you know, they have the power to save people. And um, and yet what, what we've heard from, and Aaron can talk about this a little bit later too, but that... Um, you know, this is really, really weighing on them. They are, um, 
it, it's just a heavy burden that doesn't have an end in sight. And they're tired and they, you know, they're risking their lives every day. They're risking their families. They, they can't, unlike, you know, a lot of other people where they might be able to just stay home and quarantine for two weeks and then go see their parents or something like that. They can't do that. They are a constant risk for themselves and others around them. And I think all of that uh, weighs on them. I also had another doctor who who knows Dr. Nichols, and he he basically said it's not just what happens at work, you know, the dying, the 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 sickness, the sadness, the distance, the isolation, but the role that they play otherwise. I mean, they are the advisors to neighbors, friends, families, whether they should go travel, whether they should do something, whether they should get the vaccine. You know, they they are this community service that never ends for them. And they are now going into, what, their 11th month um, of of having to deal with this. And I, I, it's, I think they're just, they're overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed by the death. They're overwhelmed by the responsibility. And, and I think that's why Dr. Nichols uh, thread on Twitter, um, which has now gone completely viral, um, resonated so much because it was so honest about that burden. Well, thanks for doing the story, Jill. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was it was a, a really great story to do. Dr. Nichols was uh, incredibly generous with his time and talking to us um, about the, the Twitter uh, thread and and about his experiences. And um, I can only wish him well and all the other health workers out there. We are going to take a quick break. Thanks to Jill Tucker. When we come back, we'll have Aaron Alday, reporter on the latest surge and what you need to know. Back on 5th and Mission right after this. You can support 5th and Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. Welcome back to 5th and Mission. I'm Damian Bolwa. And my second guest today is health reporter Aaron Alday. It was a big day for coronavirus news, unfortunately, and we're going to get an update. Aaron, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Damien. So, Aaron, give us the latest coming out of the Thanksgiving holiday. What are we looking at? Uh, it's not looking great. I'll be honest. Um, I think, you know, the Governor Newsom gave a, a briefing today on Monday, his first um, in about a week. Um, and it was it was notably grim um, from my perspective. I've sat in on a lot of his briefings um, and he often is pretty kind of dark and, and, and tends to give pretty, um, you know, pretty sober announcements, sober news. But this one, you know, was particularly um, a little startling um, of note. He said that, you know, the state is looking at with its current trends that it could basically run out of intensive care beds um, by the end of the year. Um, in, in some places in the state, even earlier than that. And, um, he's saying that, you know, with things looking this bad, that, that he very likely will be putting out some kind of a new stay at home order, um, perhaps in the next few days, perhaps later this week or early next week. It's a little, uh, unclear on the details. Um, but things are definitely looking pretty rough. And, and, you know, the other thing to note is that, these, you know, these statistics, these statistics, these numbers that we're seeing, this is all before we're even seeing any fallout from Thanksgiving and all the gatherings that people may have attended. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, these things tend to lag, right? Even a, even a, a couple of weeks behind, uh, we were worried about Thanksgiving, but we're, we've already seen the trend for the last several weeks um, be bad. And Newsom sort of 
predicted, right? He, he said that there were estimates that they could make heading toward the end of the year. Right, exactly. So, I mean, that's that's kind of what what is concerning to me is he's he's basing these estimates on what sort of is happening in the hospitals right now. And I mean, his his staff, his his people doing these forecasts are certainly taking into consideration what they anticipate, you know, will happen from the holidays. But there's only so much of that that you can really kind of predict. And I think a lot of this, they're just looking at trajectories and they're looking at the trajectories we're already on. Um, and this is where we're already seeing things you know, potentially looking looking really bad. And again, you know, according to their forecast, I mean, we're talking about parts of rural rural Northern California being out of ICU beds next week, like very very soon. Okay, so if 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 there are more restrictions, what what do we know about that? What can we say? Would it stay within the current sort of tiered system where where certain things might be pulled back, or could it be completely new rules? I think uh, that that remains to be seen. It was um, um, both Newsom, the governor, and um, and Mark Galley, Doctor Mark Galley, the uh, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, were pretty um, coy with their responses today about what what that might look like. They said they're having conversations with the health officers. Um, all uh, this past week, um, there were some hints that at least at first the new restrictions might be applied only to counties that are really feeling the strain on their intensive care capacity. So it it may be very targeted and tied to what's going on in the ICUs in particular counties. But it also, frankly, wouldn't surprise me if we see more kind of broader restrictions at all the counties in the purple tier, which at this point, keep in mind, is 99% of the state population is in a purple tier county. Okay, but some things that have that have opened around us include um, being able to shop in stores, uh, outdoor dining. Are these? How much do we know about whether these particular things that have that have opened up since the beginning are are transmitting the virus, or whether a an order like this is 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 more so a message that everyone needs to stop getting together in any way? I would say it's a little bit of both, probably more the latter about it being a message than it actually being, um, you know, that these particular activities um, are problematic. You know, I think what we've learned over time is that thing, obviously things that are outside are much better than inside, but also things that are inside are tend to be better if you can keep them less crowded and if people are wearing masks the whole time. So I think the thinking is that if they can leave retail stores open, they want to, and they may just have to drastically lower the capacity, right? So you're only allowing, you know, 10% of, of the usual capacity into a retail store for any given time, rather than shutting it down completely. Um, same for pretty much any other, you know, indoor business. I do think I get the impression that the governor and the health officers, the county health officers really want to keep businesses open, if at all possible. Um, and so I think they're going to try to do that. Um, and then when it comes to to dining, you know, I think at this point, um, certainly all all Bay Area counties have canceled indoor dining. So nowhere is there indoor dining in the Bay Area. Um, outdoor dining probably is going to be, you know, cut off sooner rather than later. Um, it's, it would be my guess. Um, I think that it's it's outdoors, but it involves people removing their masks, being in close kind of range to others. And that's just kind of that that is definitely something that is seen as riskier even when it's outside. But, but boy, some of these businesses have made big investments in things like parklets and heat lamps, the ski resorts. 
have, have made a big investment in just opening. I and, will say, staff. yeah. I mean, the other thing that's key um, that that both um, the governor and and Dr. Galley mentioned today mentioned at their briefing is, um, you know, this. If we get another order, it's very likely to be very limited in time. So it would probably be just for two to three weeks. So that's another thing I think that's important for people to keep in mind is if we do see another stay home order, it's not going to be like unlimited. It's not going to be, you know, two months like it was back in the spring. Um, It will probably just be, you know, hard and fast to get things really locked down, get those cases you know, drop down to a reasonable level and sort of preserve the hospitals, and then they would, you know, open things up again. Got it. Okay, Aaron, last question. We're getting a lot of news every day now about the readiness of vaccines um, moving through the approval process. Could, uh, could getting vaccines out there change this surge in the next several weeks? No, it's not going to do anything to change the surge in the next several weeks. Um, that's that's the simple answer. There's a lot of really, really great, exciting news on the vaccine front. And in fact, um, Governor Newsom said that, that we're going to get our first, I think, 300,000 or so vaccines um, just in a matter of weeks, which is fantastic. But that's it's not going to be nearly enough to have an impact on the pandemic and um, and and let us go back to, you know, opening things up and, and changing sort of the course of things. Um, certainly not this year, probably not for at least a few months into next year either all right well aaron i wish you had better news to share with us today (laughs) but but thanks for coming on again happy holidays damien happy holidays to you thanks to my guests today staff writers aaron alday and jill tucker from the chronicle to king kaufman for producing this episode and thank you for listening